0: And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here.
1: Hey, Glenn. Mm. I reckon we have a bit of a showdown, me and you. Really? Yeah. Okay. Really find out who's a better trainer. Ooh, now
2: you've fucking thrown the cat amongst the pigeons, haven't you? Yeah. I reckon we get puppies,
1: Mm. brothers or something like that, and have a bit of a competition, see who can raise it the best.
2: Okay. So now that you've thrown the gauntlet out there, where are you thinking that we're going to get these magnificent specimens from? I want to get duchies or shepherds. Yep. So if we're going to get them, the
1: only place in the world that anybody should be looking to get mm. a German Shepherd or a Dutch Shepherd from is Hausenberg Shepherds in Germany.
2: Oh, good call. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like this. All right. So now that we've got the dogs. Yeah. What's the next part of the evolution? Well, the good
1: news is mm-hmm. they they can send those Shepherds anywhere in the world. Yep. So what about we get one sent here to Australia? Right. And you'll train that one. Okay. And I'll get one sent to myself in North America. Mm-hmm. But we're going to need training equipment to train those
2: dogs. Right. So I guess that I have to go and talk to the Bullfed. Yeah. So your gear, all your dog training needs, because mm-hmm. we'll start fresh. We'll get all new everything. Everything. All your dog training needs yep. will be met by Ainswick dog quip Oh, the Bullfed himself. Yeah. Okay. So I can get myself some mills, some great leads, some collars. All that Training stuff. devices, treats, balls, whatever I need. Yeah. You'll be able yep. to get that from Einzwick because yep. you're going to be here in Australia. Well, that means that you have to go up. North, further north yep. in, in North America yep. and go and see old mate Mach Le Point. Yep. And get everything from Canon Dynamics. Oh, Canon Dynamics. Yep. Yep. I'll get
1: the leashes I need, the tugs I need, everything. I think I can even get bite suits. Everything. Yeah. I can get that from Canon Dynamics Yep, if I'm in North America. Mm-hmm. There is one part of this that is somewhat unfair, well, you get to hang out with Melanie Benway. Yeah, so I'm actually going to get my dog tra- – I'm not going to do any of the training. Yep. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to get a play and train mm-hmm. done where Mel's actually just going to come to my house because I'm going to take that dog to Richmond, Virginia. Yep. Ashland, Virginia Ashland, as well. Ashland Virginia. Ashland, Virginia. Yep. So I thing both areas. Yeah. Uh, I can be either one of those mm. and I'm just going to go do something else nine to five and she'll come into my home, train that dog. While and- you're sipping – Cafe lattes. Just just gallivanting
2: all over. Gallivanting.
1: (laughs) Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat
2: Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co host, Glenn Cook. What a hearty introduction that was. I'm in the mood. You are, aren't you? You're jumping out of your skin today. Yeah. Mm. How are you? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah. Thanks to COVID, as I whinged about last week, we had a pretty average school holiday season. Mm. But it's affecting everybody in Sydney. Everybody's had their business kicked in the balls, um, which is unfortunate. And it's the way things are going to be for a little bit more time. So we just have to ride it out like everybody. But yeah, it's disheartening. It's a bit of a shame. It's just a pain in the ass. It really is, isn't it? Not only is it inconvenient, but it's also very hurtful to mental health. There's a lot of people around, not just in Australia, there's people around the world that are literally, you know, like it's peak mental health issues as Mm. well. So... I think it's a time to be kind to people and a little bit more tolerant than usual to be understanding that, you know, Mm -hmm. like not only are people hurting because their financial potential has been strained, but also the impacts on people's personal freedoms and so forth. Mm. Like I can't even go motorcycle riding at the moment, you know, like it was a beautiful wintry weekend where me and the boys would generally be out on the road, hitting it up into the Hunter Valley regions and so forth. But basically, if we do that, we risk getting a thousand dollar on the spot fine. Mm. So it is a bit crazy. Anyway, it's not the COVID channel. We're here to, <laughs> here to talk about dogs. So, I've got a topic. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you have. I want to talk about normal dog behavior mm.
1: and what that is because it was a conversation I was
2: having with someone recently about, is that normal? Mm. And I was like, what is normal? When you told me about this concept last night when we were texting backwards and forwards, Again, it jumped my mind to that Morticia Adams quote that you have said several times, what's normal to the spider is chaos to the fly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I thought that's probably applicable to what we're going to talk about.
1: Yeah. So I think like the first thing I want to do when you're going to dissect something, I feel like it's important to define it first. Mm -hmm. And so- Dog behavior is what a dog's doing. So the word normal, what does that mean, right? So I've got the dictionary open in front of me mm-hmm. and it says- On your brand new laptop. On my brand new laptop. Yep. That I had to buy because my computer shit itself trying to do all the editing <laughs> that I'm doing. So normal as an adjective is conforming to a standard, usual, typical, or expected. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important because we talk about what is normal. Dog behavior. Yep. And those words there, typical or expected, mm-hmm. I think are critical, All right, So it says conforming to a standard, right? Yeah. Well, that's the key word there, conforming. Yeah. Conforming to a standard of what is usual, yep. typical, mm-hmm. or expected. Yep. So what is normal is what you see. Yes. And I think when we talk about dog behavior, the standards of normal are changing. Mm. And I think that take reactivity, for example, right? Like aggression or whatever. The thing that really sparked this about me was I was out with Rip the other day. We were walking around mm. and there was this Cocker Spaniel. And I could see that it was nervous, right? It was sketchy. And it kind yep. of looked at us kind of oddly as we were walking past. Mm. And it was with a dog walker. And it started barking at Rip. And both of us were just like, Ugh like rolled our eyes <laughs> and it would have been a big production if it were a bigger dog. Man, wait, that-
2: wait, was this at a dog park? No, it wasn't. No. Okay. Oh, oh that just blew my, my fun out in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: so it would have been a much bigger deal mm. had I not got such a, you know, comprehensive read on the dog the moment I saw it, mm. as well as the size of the dog. And Rip knows how to manage dog behavior. Like he he's not into training; he's not really into that. But, but he's he, been brought up in the he's around dogs all yeah. the time and around dangerous dogs. He knows how to he knows what he should and shouldn't do in the yes. presence of dogs, right? Mm. And so both of us just kind of rolled our eyes as this cocker spaniel came running over, barking at us and circling us, and both of us just stood there, kind of silently and standing there like get on with it Mm. as the walker came over and furiously apologized to us and, and ran away. And I was like, man, how has it become acceptable and normal to me that a dog charges my kid and I just stand there and we both know we just stand there and do nothing about this. And the dog, that dog doesn't have the, it's not going to bite either of us. It doesn't have the balls to actually engage. Mm -hmm. It's, It's just a frightened little sketchy dog. And we'll just stand still and let this dog carry on. And while the walker is continually calling it, it had gray hair. So it was old enough that it was gray. It's been around for a bit. Right. Mm -hmm. So like there's zero recall on this dog. That issue is hard ingrained and, and then no big deal. They get on with it. And as a father, you remove dog trainer, dog person from it. I was like, I can't believe that I'm okay with this, right? That this is just par for the course that some sketchy little dog is going to try and like intervene in my kid that way. Because, you know, if that were a bigger dog or if I had less of a read on it, like me and that dog are having a, we're coming to blows. Cause there's no way I'm letting that happen to my kid. If I think he's going to get bit. Right. Yeah. Or yourself. Yeah. I'm less concerned about that. There's very few dogs would ever charge me, but they go for kids, you know, mm. like anyway. And I just thought to myself, Holy fuck. Like, how have we come to be in a world where, that's no big deal, and we don't give it. We hardly give it a second thought. Do
2: you think that's the case that it isn't a big deal? Well,
1: certainly in that moment it wasn't. I think it is a big deal, yeah. but it, it is normal for
2: you in that area with those kind of dogs. Yeah, right? For you, it is. I understand what you're saying because, to be honest, I remember the first time I ever let a dog bite me on a sleeve. I was absolutely enormously adrenalized and I'm talking 30 years ago now, mm-hmm. I, I remember going down to the club and putting on a sleeve and letting a dog do it. It was terrifying and yet life-changing for me at the mm-hmm. moment. Whereas now if you put on a sleeve or suit and even with some of the power in some of the dogs and the different genetics these days, you put it on, it's like, oh, yeah, this is just a Tuesday. Yeah, and I'm not downplaying that, but for us it's just not a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I walk through the kennels. I walk in kennels with dogs that are aggressive reactive, I should say. It's still aggression, but they're reactive. But I walk in with dogs like this all the time. Some of the staff say to me, are you sure you want to go in that kennel? And I, I walk straight in there. The behavior is typical to me. If we went back 30 years ago, I'd be standing at the gate going, oh, there's no way I'm going to walk in that kennel mm-hmm. because who I am now and what I understand about dogs and my comfort level around these type of dogs and the read I get on them is completely different to what I would do right back then. Yeah. Yeah. And for you, you've been in dogs long enough now and around people and around some serious dogs, you know, and spending almost every Thursday night getting bitten time and time and again, you know, Mm -hmm. like you kind of get a read on them. However, if we go back to that situation with that little Cocker Spaniel, and that's different people, a different father, a different kid with different reactions, that could have been a different outcome with that dog as well. Yeah. You know, it could have. No, oh, one, if, no if one knows. For the, sure, you know, like, if Rip had run, he would have got bit in the ass. Right, yeah. 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 So you can play out these infinite possibilities in these different timelines. It's like that new show, Loki, that's on. So good. It's so good. How their variants in different timelines and so forth. Segway. Yeah. If you haven't watched Loki, spoiler.
1: Right, Skip till this part's over. Yep. I was nearly in tears for him in that first episode where they show him his role. Yes. Where he has an understanding of himself and a picture in his mind that he is a god of yep. mischief. Yep. And they are, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. And they're like, no, Loki, you're the fuck up. Yep. You exist in the timeline. To be defeated. You bring out the best in others. You were never going to be successful. And when they show what would have happened to him, where he gets killed by Thanos, like where they show what would have happened to him, had he not broken the timeline. Where he just squeezes his throat closed. Just, just like yeah. sucks the life out of him. Yeah. And it's like- that's who you
2: really are. Oh, that was horrible. Dude, I was like, oh, man, imagine. It's like instantly deflating, like your whole existence and the character that you've built and the bedrock that you've built it on is instantly kicked out from under your feet. Yeah. Right in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I was like,
1: oh, man, like that's gut-wrenching for him.
2: Yeah. Anyway, carry on. (laughs) Back to normal dog behaviour. Back from the Disney Channel. Yeah. So, yes, I get it because I do play out timelines in my head a lot. I do it when I'm motorbike riding. I do it when I'm training dogs. I do it when I'm interacting with people. It's a weird sensation sometimes. Like, it happened more as I got older. Like, I kind of look at a scenario and then I'm picturing, okay, that's version A, But what about B, C, D, E, and F? What if this happens? I do it in business meetings. I do it in all sorts of – and I can't stop it. Like it's just something that I kind of think, okay, I need to say the next thing or do the next thing that's going to have the best possible outcome in this sort of situation. I mean, I know you would do it. You'd be plagued by this. It's part of your obsessive personality that you would role play out things before you go into situations. And you can't be somebody who's been involved in – serious risk and not think about situations not only diplomatically but also risk averse sometimes Mm. or risk, you know, like you risk manage everything that you're going into. It's something that people who have been involved in dog training and see these behaviours manifesting It's something that you can't help not do. Mm. And I think that's what sets really good dog trainers apart from average dog trainers. Yeah. This is not me giving ourselves a big pat on the back. I'm just saying all the people I know who read dogs really well, you know, we did last week's episode on... The rabbit never jumps in the wolf's mouth. I know when I watch a good decoy work that they get the best out of the dog. They actually reward the dog for all of the intensiveness that they want out of the dog. The best barking, holding the position. I did it with Macho the other day. I had him on the flex pole. He was giving me a couple of squealy barks, puppy barks, and then he did one or two really deep barks. Boom. Out comes the reward. Mm -hmm. And these are things that, you know, like we engineer, we, we plan for. But you could transfer that into when the dog gives you the perfect heel or when the dog looks away from another dog, when you've had issues with aggression and so forth. That spirals into so many possible outcomes. Mm. I think it's called foresight. Yeah. It's a wonderful attribute to actually
1: possess. Yeah. I think on training, Mm. everybody that is successfully training dogs, whether they do this on purpose or it happens intuitively, have a plan that looks like if this, then that yeah, so they're not like, this is what I'm going to do. yeah they say like if this happens, then that's what I'll do. And yeah. if this happens then that's what I'll do. and and they have all those plans and whether they've thought about that, like I have to think about that. I've put a lot of time thinking about it or whether they're so good on the tools that they you know are intuitive to them and they they just go with the flow. Mm. but I think that's the trick. We often sometimes you know what we get taught or certainly I have preached and I was drilled into, was drawn into me was that you want an active dog and a reactive handler. Mm. And I think that's what that is. I think that the active dog, like he does things and I react to them. Yeah. And depending on what he does will determine how I react. And I think, you know, react or respond. Well, same thing, same thing, same, like within same the same, within the same scope. Mm. Like I am going to, you know, do what is appropriate from what is happening now, not what I have a plan to do regardless of what happens now. Mm. Right. And like I say, I think there's two ways that can happen. Mine, which is I have no skill to do that on the fly. So i spend a lot of time thinking about that so that when it does happen, I'm like, Oh, I've, I have war game this. I've played this out in my head. I know what I'm going to do. And hopefully it goes the way that I played it out in my head. Yep. But I think the very best dog trainers, the intuitive ones, don't have to think that shit like it's just happening. But mm. either way, they are reacting slash responding to what the dog does. The dog does something and then you have like, okay, that leads us down this path. And then, you know, a you hit a new decision tree and it's like, okay, that leads us down the left path. And then, you know, over and over and over and over. And that's that's training. So that for sure is important. But what is normal within dog behavior, I think, is so subjective. Mm. And also normal is, as you say, what's normal to the spider is chaos to the fly. Normal is what you are exposed to. Mm. So take Mally's for example, right? That's probably the breed I know the most about. Like I'm not a bloodlines and genetics nerd, like I'm not, but I I know a little bit about Mally stuff because I'm interested in it. And you know, I've sourced a lot of dogs for people People ask, you know, what's going on? I was sort of plugged in. And I really don't do very much of that anymore because people then hold me accountable for how their dog turns out. And I'm like, hey, people say, I'm looking for a Mally. Who would you get one from at the moment? And I say, oh, you know, I've been tracking this guy. This is a good pedigree. I like both. I've worked the father, I've seen the mother, you know, like that. Mm. Then they get a dog. And then when it doesn't pan out, they're like, oh, well, you told me to get that dog. I'm like, no, I told you where I would get a dog from in that. If I were looking for one yeah. and there's a lot of risk involved in that, especially in Australia, because most of the breedings that we're doing here are outcrosses. Like yep. there's very, there's no old bloodlines in Australia. So you really don't know what you're going to get. Even repeat matings are very uncommon here. Mm. So there's that risk, but then there's the environmental risk that you are providing.
2: Exactly. Right. So like, and it's part of the caveats that I layer into people. Cause I have selected, a, let me rephrase. I have assisted people in picking a dog recently. Like they've conscripted me and said, could you help me? These have been virtually looking at dogs because we can't travel around. Yeah. And I've looked at the dogs via Zoom and so forth. And I've said, those two dogs are the ones that I would be interested in. I need to see them in another week. Yeah. And, you know, like I've been speaking to the breeder and asking them a bunch of questions. And when I get back to the person and say, okay, these are the caveats that I've got to layer in. If I was looking for the dogs, this is what I would look for. Because I have the exact same concern that you have. Yeah. That they'll come back in 12 months and say, hey, this dog didn't turn out. Because I've got to say to them, who are you training with? What is your plan? What do you want to achieve with these type of dogs? Yeah. What's the long-term role and what do you propose to do? What's next in your timeline plan? Yeah. So that way they can't come back and blame me for it. Because even the super dog program couldn't accurately predict determination of how a dog would turn out. And I tell people that, you know, like I said, a lot of science and a lot of research and a big budget went into this. And even though they found things out and and it was helpful for them and it furthered the study on on canine behaviour and puppy raising and so forth, it still didn't give them the ultimate determination of this dog is guaranteed to be a better version of itself when it's an adult. There are so many anomalies at play here that we just can't be held... Purely accountable for
1: And them. puppies especially. So, you know, I'm saying how I don't like to do this, but I did just do it for a family member and it's not a working dog, so I'm much more comfortable doing it. And we just bought a puppy for my sister and her family. Oh, is that little puppy that you – Yeah. I saw got you- from this guy, Joe Reinhardt. He's very interesting. I want to get him on the show at some point. Has a raw food business and stuff, but he's, a, you know, heavily into American bulldog bloodlines mm. and has spent a lot of money, you know, bringing them in. And it was really interesting to me talking to him because – I knew nothing about it, and we had a, a very like you know my sister and her family were there, what like listening to us talking acronyms that they had no idea what the fuck we we're talking about, yep. right? Because he's an expert in that breed, and I know shit about it, but know about dogs and breeding and bloodlines mm-hmm. in generally, right? So we had a interesting conversation. It would be good to have a chat with him about that, sure. on the show. But I don't really... think we've... well, we have had a breeder. We've had Katrina on the show. Yeah, mm. yeah. So one of the things that was interesting was. They asked me to find a dog for them. They wanted a dog. So I look around. I'd met this guy once and and knew that he had good dogs. And I'd seen one of his dogs and it was like, I thought, here we go. This is going to be an issue between it and Remy. I thought, oh, this is going to be a fight. Like we saw them out both off leash. And it was like, they just became best friends. They looked at each other and were like, hey, we're like, this is it. We're best friends now. And I was like, okay, that's the kind of, if I'm going to get them a bully breed, that's the kind I want that a big, powerful confident, but not that confident over the top. Now I have to fight everybody thing, mm-hmm. you know, that often comes of them. So anyway, I got in touch with this guy. We go and check out the puppies. Cause I don't know him as a breeder prior to this. And I want to see, That he is what I think he is. And so I get there and he is, right? He knows what he's talking about. It's a good setup. I'm like, okay, I'm happy to take this further. This was just the initial, I don't even give a shit about the dogs at this point. I want to do answer the questions correctly. The normal shit you should do Mm, when you're mm, getting a puppy, mm. right? So- we're there, I give my sister like the sneaky nod, like, yeah, we'll start looking for a choose one. So we're, I'm assessing all these little puppies, very uniform little litter. It's all great, right? And I had in my mind, I like this particular one, right? But I didn't tell them that too much, like I, was, like I had in my mind. We go back, get the kids because they've got to be a big part of the choosing of it. We come back, it's only an hour, hour and a half later, and I want a different one now. Yep. Because puppies change that fast. Mm. And when you're looking at puppies that are eight weeks old, You are looking at a fucking, like, a snapshot in time. Absolutely. absolutely. like, depending on who ate more at the last feeding, who's less tired, you know, like, there's so many variables Mm -hmm. that go into what a puppy's going to look like. That's one of the reasons why a good breeder is so important is because they have an aggregate. They have what is normal for each dog in mind because they get to see them all the time. Mm -hmm. They're with them, you know, multiple hours per day and they can give you a, you know, an average of, yeah, like, he looks. Higher drive now, but he's not really. It's just that he was asleep when everybody else ate and he got half the meal everybody else got. And so that's why he's more agitated now and is running around more excited and blah, 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 right? Mm. There's all these variables that can go into it. Yep. But it was, you know, it's a really good example of the fact that I had an idea of which one I liked the most. And colors I could give two shits about. They were all different colors. That That's important to some people. That's not, like, that carries zero weight for me. Yep. So I'm like, yeah, I like this little guy. He's the most engaged. He's... The one that I would pick. We come back an hour later. I'm like, no, nah, I've changed my mind totally. Like, I don't even like him anymore. I want this one, right? And it's an hour later, mm. and they're totally different. They're acting totally different. But you know, God knows what happened to them. they might have slept, they might have eaten, they might have had access to, mu- like, who knows, right? Mm. Like, they're, but they're different little puppies when we get back there. So that's why it's really difficult to say like, oh, this is normal for a puppy. And so when people then say to me like, what's normal when you go and see a American Bulldog litter? Yep. What's normal? I'm like, how the fuck would I know what's normal because I know what I want to see when I'm looking at any kind of dog for any any kind of reason. I know what I want to see from that dog, mm. but that isn't necessarily what's going to be normal. Because as we just read, like the definition of normal is conforming to a standard, usual, typical, or expected. Yep. And I don't know shit about these dogs, mm. right? So I don't know what's normal. And the one that I like might be completely abnormal for A bulldog, an American bulldog. It might be – that might be the worst one. It could have traits that within
2: it that I'm into. I'm like, oh, yeah, I like that. And that's a good key point there is that's where I want to interject on this because – what I've had to do in the past is not be so biased that I look at a puppy and go, that's normal for me. Like that's exactly what I want to see transcribed in the behavior of the dog because I like all those traits and that villainous, edgy predatory sort of puppy where yeah. it grows up in that household where they go, Oh, that's not what we wanted at all. Yeah. Cause you're excited. Cause you're seeing, Oh, this is a drivey puppy. Yeah, This is I- a dog I will enjoy to train. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But the family goes, I want a chill dog that I can go walking with and, He's happy to have a bit of fun, but happy to also sit on the couch and chill. Yeah. Whereas the dog I like is a bit more vibrant and energetic yeah. and pushy and a bit more extreme in its behaviours.
1: Yeah. Because um, you know how to manage that. And I can put up with it.
2: Yeah. But I don't have a particular lifestyle like a, a person who has to wear a suit and go into an office and then come home tired and cranky. Yeah. Deal with three kids and then a dog leaping all over the place that says, take me for a walk. Yeah. And then a wife screaming at me saying, you know, you chose this dog you got to walk it. Yeah, yeah. That's situations that have unfolded, not just for me but for – People that have had conversations with literally all over the world, this topic has come up. Like people have talked about this. This is why when you said this last night, I, I was thinking on it in bed last night and thought, yeah, this is an important topic because mm. it's conversations not only that you have with fellow trainers, it's conversations that you have with clients as well. Mm. So removing your own desire and bias out of the puppy picture. And this is where, where I said before, where I do layer in these caveats with people is to ask them a lot more questions, a lot more than I would normally ask. Like there's a good phrase that I really like and I try and utilize this a lot, especially when you're doing shaping and chaining sort of games and you're doing back chaining and so forth. It's called beginning with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. And that's primarily what I suggest to a lot of people is, you know, like you've got to think about yourself in – five and 10 years time, because we're talking average life of a dog is around about 10 to 12. So where do you see yourself with this dog? And you've got to think about, you know, all the possibilities of upscaling your life, you know, getting more money, buying a bigger house, having a bigger family, more responsibilities and so forth, or downsizing, you know, losing a job, having to sell, living in a, in a smaller house, smaller backyard, because these are variables and possibilities and I've had people look at me like with their eyes boggling out of their head but you've got to consider this like I have to consider this like what happens if pet resorts just toppled over and Narelle and I had to move out of here and we've got three French bulldogs and two working German shepherds Mm -hmm. what do I do then even though Macho's technically not my dog he's kind of my dog Mm -hmm. you know so you can't be stuck on that like you can't be obsessed about that and go oh my god this is going to happen the world's going to fall on top of my head mm-hmm. but you've got to think to yourself you know like this is where I do play out these timelines if this does happen what can i do about it what does the family budget allow what does the living conditions allow Would it still be suitable, practical? Would it still fit my lifestyle, basically? Mm -hmm. So, these are good questions. It's a good thought to actually have. Yeah. And I think as I want to keep exploring the
1: idea of normal and what that means, Mm. I think that it really comes down to your perception of normal is what is expected, right? And what's typical and what is expected. And I think your thoughts and your feelings about that are shaped by what you see. Yes, and at the moment, we see so many, like, nervous, reactive, and complicated sort of dogs that for a large part, that is normal. Yep. Right? Like, you see people, like,
2: it's not uncommon. i just have to join the 4 a.m. walking crowd. But right? the other thing that, that's more distressing about that is people- actively hide that online when they're showing their dogs like of course they actually show people how to hide these behaviors in their dogs and you're right like when you're seeing high profile people with nervous and reactive dogs they're literally showing people this is fine yeah it's like that little cartoon meme of the dog sitting in the in the house drinking a coffee while the whole house is on fire yeah and i'm thinking you've got a bigger responsibility to the public than that Like I show people, we were talking about this before, I show people videos of Opie headbutting the cat on my Instagram feed and although people laugh at it, and he's a nice little dog, he's easy to live with, but he's special. Mm. He is a special dog. Yeah. I'm outing myself here, but the reason he does that with the cat is because it's something that it's a game between him and I that I've shaped into the behaviour. Caveat, you're talking about the little cat statue that you have. The cat statue, not a Not not a real real cat. cat, Yes. So...
1: (laughs) He's a little weirdo in real life. Well, that's worth exploring as well, right? Because what is normal dog behavior is like a Labrador normally Mm. is very different to a French bulldog normally. Yes. I think actually there's a paper on this that might have been done at Sydney Uni. I can't remember. That, you know, questions that because what is normal dog behavior? Well, what is a normal dog? Oh yeah, right? Paul
2: McGreevy did the yeah. did the paper on how their brain is contorted and yeah to fit exactly in the size right of their skull yeah,
1: yeah. so Paul McGreevy that's who did it. Yeah, yeah that's right and, and so it's those brachycephalic dogs to yeah. fit their brain their yeah. brain actually does like a ninety degree turn yeah
2: it's like it's it's shaped like a more like a jelly bean than a brain yeah yeah
1: and the I think I remember reading in that man it was a long time ago I read it but I think I remember reading in that that like with Frenchies as well they have more like a human eye the yes. ratio of rods to cones in their eye is more like a human than a dog. And so the way that a Frenchie even perceives the world is different to the way that a Labrador perceives the world. Mm. And so the way that you act then in response to the stimuli you're taking in, they see in different colors and stuff like that, right? Like they would, they would literally see differently yep. than a normal dog would see or a, a, a different dog mm. would see. And so how on earth can you determine what is normal dog behavior when there is no – like baseline of what a
2: normal dog is. Like what's a normal dog? What's the definition of a normal dog? Man, we're getting into some, I I think we, we're going to cross into the spiritual realm shortly. Really? (laughs) Is that where we headed? But I mean, that's, that's my question is, so for me, when, when, when I think of what a
1: normal dog is, I think of working
2: dogs Mm. because
1: that's my, that's your normal world. That's my normal. Yeah.
2: Right. And and you're right. That's my normal world too. But When you cross between having French Bulldogs and then working line dogs, we've got our normal inside dogs and we've got our normal outside dogs. Mm -hmm. And, well, Macho and Randy come inside at night, but it does skew the difference between them, Mm. you know, like the way they behave, the way they want to play. There's similarities, but there's also vast differences as well.
0: Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Mm. So barking at the door. Yep. Normal dog behaviour. Yep. We've got one that does, one that doesn't. Yep. Right. Most of our dogs bark. Yeah, when when
1: there's yeah, someone knocks at the door. That's what dogs like. It's ten thousand years of evolution that we select the dogs that we like that do that,
2: right? And and we don't
1: punish for it. But one of my dogs does it. Valerie does it. If you can believe this, Valerie is the one that will guard the house. Yep. Remy's like, I could give two shits. Mm -hmm. You come in the house, I'll bite the fuck out of you, right? Because there's there's, doesn't have any nerve that allows for that. He's like, I don't care what you're going to do. Come on in. Right. You come in friendly. We'll be friends. Come in aggressive. I'll fucking kill you. Either way. I'm happy. Right. So he doesn't guard shit. He's happy to see you in there. Valerie is like, you know, she's like, Hey, this could go bad or I'm overexcited. So he's me barking. Right. (laughs) There's lots of reasons why it could happen, Mm. but is that normal? I think it is. You might get called to the house and people are like, Hey, I've got this problem dog. He barks at the front door and people knock and you go, that's normal. And you go well, it's. I don't want it. Okay. Fair enough. But then you might get dog people who are like, why doesn't he bark at the door? I want a dog that barks at the door. Cause I've done that. I've had to train dogs to bark at the door because people want that as Mm. like a security deterrent or whatever. Right. So even then, so normal, what is a normal dog? Fuck knows. Who Mm. knows what a normal dog is? What is normal dog behavior? Even a more difficult question to answer. Yep. And then there's even within breeds, like what is normal of that breed. Mm. And it's one of the interesting things. It comes up, you know, it seems to come up a lot whenever I speak at, you know, events or whatever is the difference between Malleys and Duchies. Because I always talk about how I like Duchies. I like the look of Duchies. I've never had one that's mine, I've, I've never owned one personally. Uh, I've raised with other people, but like I just like the look of them. Yep. But I would never choose a dog based on its looks. And people want to know what's the difference. And like I personally think that there's more difference in bloodline of Mali than there is between Mali's and Dutchies. Yep. Take, for example, like if you get certain FCI Malinois here in Australia, like got their real paperwork, ANKC registered, whatever, to versus to my dog who's a Malinois but isn't. So he's he's not got paperwork. He's He's got a BRN. He's Dutch import. He is more like a lot of Dutch shepherds that I see, despite not being one. Mm. Then he is more like a lot of the Malinois that I see, right? So what's normal behavior in the Malinois breed, right? Mm. What a lot of people think is normal because it's in Australia, it's because what we see is kind of nervous, very, like, I guess this is where we probably do get spiritual is we talk like the dogs operate at a very high frequency. Mm -hmm. They even rest at a high frequency, right? Like they're vibrating kind of all the time, yep. right? That's typical of Malinois in Australia, mm-hmm. but that's not what my dogs like at all. Like I would say that he's at a very low frequency, but therefore is more powerful, right? Like, mm-hmm. so when, like he, he can turn all the way off and when he turns all the way on, there's a lot more in there than like sort of vibrating at the same, like at idle all the time, mm. right? And that to me is normal because that's the kind of dogs that I like, right? But to other people, they would look at him and go, that's not normal in the But We say, no, it's very normal in his bloodline. That's why I selected, that's why I wanted that dog from mm. that bloodline, right? So all of this is to, you know, understand that there's there's real massive differences in what you perceive as being normal, right? And what you think of as normal, normal is just what you're exposed to. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, perception is incredible. Yeah, and Mm. I think that the challenge then for us as dog people that deal with the regular community, right, like, you know, average dog owner, client person, whatever, is trying to then shape their perception of normal in showing them, like, you don't have to – this problem that you have with your dog – you don't have to accept that mm. because you see everybody else having similar problems and especially, you know, you fall into the group, right? Like if you're the nervous reactive dog owner, they're the accounts you follow on Instagram. They're the people you have to cross the road from at 4am when you're walking your dog so that it's not an issue. You know, that's normal to you. And you go out at, you know, like I know you don't see it here, but in my area you go out at 3.30, 4am, which I have to do sometimes because of like work schedule. I have to walk my dogs every day. That means sometimes I up at ridiculous times walking the dogs. And it's fucking dangerous to walk a dog at that time because all the people with dangerous dogs are out
2: taking their dog out. Are you saying, sir, that birds of a feather flock together? Yeah, exactly like <laughs> you mentioned last week. But so
1: but so this is the thing. Mm. So that becomes normal. When yep. you're like, oh, man, I can't – But like, my dog's such a pain in the ass, I have to take him out at 3 a.m. because it's dangerous to do it otherwise. And you're thinking, shit, this is, yeah, this is abnormal. I didn't want this kind of dog. And then you encounter 20 other people on your walk that are in the same boat as you then that becomes normal, mm. right? That you normalize that because it's what you're, ex- you expect it Now I see it. It's part of my daily routine. And so for us as dog trainers, defining normal and then providing people normal is not necessarily possible because their perception of normal is what they see. And, when you turn up with your dog, I turn up with my dog and go, hey, this is normal. Look how much control. Well, that's not normal either. Mm. <laughs> it's normal in our world. Yeah. When I, you know, I get my dog out in front of everybody here. They're like, yeah, congratulations. Your dog does everything you say. Good for you. Mm. Like, so's my dog. That's, that's fucking dog training that's, life.
2: That's what happens yeah? when you're in a club training for titles. Yeah.
1: And mm. then, but then when you then- in front of a client, get your dog out and go like, yeah, this is what's achievable. This is what you can do with your dog. That's so far off the baseline of normal that mm. it's probably not even going to help. They look at you and go, you're an outlier. And you, you certainly are in that instance with them. But in another instance, you're totally normal. You're, you are the baseline, right? So it's a unique challenge that we face in trying. And like on a bigger scale, on a bigger picture, I think of it in terms of, society as a whole and the behavior that we accept from dogs. Mm. to go back to my original point, I totally accepted a nervous little dog barking at my kid. I was like, ah, normal. Right. I know he's not going to bite him. I see what's going on here. Like, I'm not going to, it's not my dog. I'm, I'm not going to, I don't even need to, like I did kind of put myself between him and the dog, but like I don't need to physically intervene here. There's no need for me to, you know, get physical with this dog because I know it isn't going to engage. Like this is just normal. And I was like, holy shit, that's
2: normal. Did you chastise the owner or did you just let walker. it
1: a walker. They, they're apologising, but it's normal to them as well. This is what happens every day. If it sees mm. someone it barks at them, whatever. <laughs> now I got bit the other day by a dog in a wheelchair, <laughs> if you can believe it. A sausage dog. That
2: As soon as you said sausage dog, I, yeah, I thought, oh, yeah. A little well.
1: Dachshund. And he, had a, he was paralyzed. He had a little, like, set of yeah. wheels. Yeah. And uh, there were three of them with the dog walker. It might have even been the same chick. And I was hysterical. I was like, look at this guy in his little wheelchair. And as I go to get out my phone, he's like, oh, you want to go me? Right? And he comes, like, I've got it on film. He comes, like, hustling over to me, barking. And I'm like, ha, 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 the tough guy in his wheelchair. And he just, bang, bites me on the ankle. Yep. Like, as hard as he could, which was not hard at all. And I was like, oh, normal behavior from a Daxon. I, I was just gonna say, normal. <laughs> you see what I mean? Like, and so yeah. it's like, how have we got to the point yeah. where a nervous reactive dog barking at my kid, mm. me getting bitten in the leg by a Daxon in a wheelchair. And we laugh
2: it off as normal. It's just like, oh, no big deal. Right? Like that's just part of that's just part of hanging out in a dog park. All the talks that you've just had recently on normality, especially when you read out the definitions before where it highlighted conformity. You know, when I'm teaching dog trainers, part of that discussion is I play a clip on YouTube that anybody could look up. It's called Ash's Conformity Test. Mm -hmm. And I think it was done in the 70s. Like when you look at their attire, you know, straight away Mm -hmm. that, you know, like those massive lapel shirts and so forth. It's all back in the 70s. Back when people dress cool. Yeah. And you can watch it yourself. But primarily what happens is there's a whole class of people there. They're all conscripted into the class. So there's probably, I'd say, 10 students in the class. And they're all actors. And then they bring in somebody who's not an actor. So what they do is they show them a variability of lines. Like they have the example line and they say, let's say one is six inches long. And they say, okay, so what does this equal to in the four other lines that you can see? Is it equal to A, B, C or D? And the first couple of times, it's always the right measurement. And everybody, you know, like they can look at it and they can physically see that the six inch line equals the same six inch line in B. So the whole group go through, but then what happens is they start to like, they have a line with one that's like slightly bigger, but it's definitely not the same line. And the whole class will say that it's like, let's say the wrong answer is D. The whole class has been subscripted to say it's D. And the person that's looking at it, even though they know that's not the right size, I think they said something like 60 to 70% of the time, Students would come in or the participant would come in and they would see it with their eyes, physically see that that is the wrong answer. But because the whole classroom said that it's the wrong answer, they would go along with what the what the group said. So what was not normal suddenly became normal. And you can see by their body language, like they dipped their head in shame, like to say, oh, this is fucked. Mm. But they didn't want to fall out of characteristics with what the group consensus said, this is the right answer. Sometimes what they would do is they would give the right answer against the group, and if they had one of the fellow students that would support them, then they would feel confident in their answer. Yeah. But if they didn't have that, if they didn't have the student conforming with them, and yet the whole group said, yeah, that's the right answer, they would go against what their eyes could physically see was right. Mm. When we've been talking about this, this relays in my head all the time, and this is a part of the reason why I show this to the group. I said, you will be – berated on the internet for not fitting in with the conscription of what people think is right. Mm. When you do become the outlier and you say, no, this is not right in the groups, especially where you've got an established alpha person and their posse of people, for some reason, their version of what is right is Mm. now right to the group. So it's kind of a weird phenomenon when this happens, but I would be remiss to say that I've probably never had that happen to myself or being a part of that myself. Yeah. Because sometimes I think back to things where I've defended the honor of, of something or somebody without actually having em- any evidence behind it. I just accepted that that was the way it was. So that was the way it was. That was normal to me. Yeah. Have you read Jordan Peterson's first book, Maps of Meaning? No. There's a
1: lot in that on that and and there's some YouTube talks you can look up on it where he talks about how, you know, you say Schindler's List, right? Yep. Everybody thinks they're Schindler and like, I'd be the one, I'd be the, I'd be the person helping, I would have fought the Nazis and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, nah, like there's you very wouldn't. little chance that you would not have just, if you were in Germany in the forties, like, or you know, thirties and forties. With that type of pressure on yeah, you. Yeah, like and- you, you would have been a Nazi. Like yep. it's very it's very hard not to have been like, it's an extremist, you know, the strength of conviction you would have to have had to have bucked the crowd in that, even though it's so clearly like, especially in history, when you look back on it and go like, how did anybody go along with this? Like, how did he get it? And it's because of that, that issue of conformity, right? Like being part of the group. And he, it, there's a YouTube video of Jordan Pearson talking about it, where he explains like, I think it's in a classroom. It was a long time ago I watched it. It's in a classroom and he's like, like who's ever, you know, it's put your hand up if you've this. And like everybody starts slowly dropping their hand. If you like, you know, if you're that kind of extreme outlier that is just like, no, fuck you. This is, this is what I believe in. And Mm -hmm. I don't give a fuck that you pretty easily start giving up on your own convictions when it means total ostracized. Like even if it just means being left out of a group, let alone being killed right? Yeah, absolutely. Right? You very quickly start dropping your own morals and convictions. Everybody thinks they're the, they're the hero in it, but mm. it's like, no, you probably wouldn't have been, you you may not have been the, like the, the SS trooper, but you certainly would have just been going along with it. 99% of people would and did the evidence is there. Mm. But I think back to dog training away from Nazis. Um, I think what's relevant to us is that Normal is people's perceptions. It's what they see. Yep. And I think it is our role as dog trainers is to provide, uh, you know, the model of what is capable you know, and possible with a dog and the life that you can lead with a dog mm. without pigeonholing yourself as an outlier, right? And I'm certainly, I'm one of the most guilty people of this because I have a performance bred dog, right? That is, is the pinnacle of genetic engineering of the breed. I spend my whole life obsessing over training him, right? Like he is everything that I work towards. And so I am an outlier. Mm-hmm. I, and the way that I live with my dog is not normal at all. And so when the average pet owner looks at my dog, they don't see anything that is achievable by them because it's not, right? And I don't know the mechanism by which we can sort of as a whole lift the standard of dogs because – I personally think that the standard of dog ownership in worldwide that I see anyway is sort of diminishing and people are, what's normal is becoming that reactive
2: dog aggression. It's it's definitely in decline.
1: Yeah. All Mm. those kinds of things that we are getting employed to fix is becoming more and more. It's on the rise. Yeah. Becoming Mm. more and more mainstream and more normal. Yeah. And that will just become like, oh, well that's how what dogs are. Mm. Whereas, you know, when you consider it like, You know, back when I was a kid, our dog, Panda, that was a, like, when I was a little, little kid, she was a front yard dog. Mm. There was no, like, you're a backyard dog. She was a front yard dog. She used to hang out on our front step and would just do whatever she wanted during the day. She would, we lived near Callum Park there. She would regularly just go fuck off and hang out with people. And that's what dogs did 38 years ago. I was. Yeah.
2: You were part of that, I I was part of that. What's normal today, as far as families and life and existence and so forth, was not normal when I was a kid. Yeah. I remember my mum telling me stories and my grandparents telling me stories about what was normal for them in life, the differences in technology and what the world they grew up in. And you, you kind of look at it and go, oh my God, that sounds so ancient. Mm. When you're living in a timeline, And, you know, you've experienced like a certain thing, a genre of music, just the scene, the way people behaved, the social interactions people had, you know, the lack of technology, the lack of the internet when, when I was growing up and so forth versus now. This is normal now, like staring at a computer or staring at a phone. That's normal behavior. Yeah. Like us as a generation, we look at this and go, look, you look at these fucking kids with yeah, their, yeah. their face and their phone all the time. Well, we've got our face and our phone all the time. Yeah. That never happened, but we didn't have phones. And when you used to sit on a train going to work, everybody was reading the paper then. Yeah. Everybody would stop at the newsagents, grab a paper, sit on the train, and everybody would have their head in a paper. Yeah. That was normal. Yeah. And now they read the news on their phone. What's, that's normal. And what's
1: funny we only watch, actual, we don't watch that much TV at my house, but the only show that we actually watch on free to air TV when it's on is Lego Masters. Oh, yeah. Right. Everything else that I'm going to watch is through a subscription service or whatever. I don't, like our main TV that we have in the house isn't even plugged into the wall. It's only got internet connection. It can't actually receive a radio yep. frequency signal. Watching RIP, <laughs> have to watch ads cracks me up because he's like, oh, more ads because he's used to Netflix yeah. and subscription services. He, and, and he's like, oh, and they're not targeted ads because, you know, like even on YouTube, the ads are interesting to you for the most part because, yeah, because it's they super know what targeted. You see. Yeah. Super targeted for you. Yeah. Yeah. There's two gateways because I, I post a thing asking people what ads they got on my YouTube channel and people are like, oh, it's always targeted. There's two targeting. There's, there's a type of advertiser that's willing to advertise within your bandwidth your channel and then from that they select what they show to the individual based on their targeting right so i was curious on that but free to air tv it's just random ads right all they know if you're watching lego masters is that you like lego mm. that's it right yep. <laughs> <laughs> making him watching normal ads screaming about how how frequently they're on <laughs> and how boring they are it's hilarious to me and i'm like mate that was normal life. Like yeah. that was when you're a kid. That was for me. That was watching TV every fucking four that minutes. That was run
2: to the toilet time. Yeah,
1: yeah. Right, but it's like random ads, and he's like melting down over it, having to watch an ad and screaming about what a load of bullshit it is. <laughs> like, wait, you know nothing about ads. That's but right. then I say that to someone else. It's like you know nothing about TV. Like I remember when it first came on, and it was only on for four hours a day. There was only like programming, and it ended. It wasn't like it was on twenty four seven. You could watch whatever you wanted. Like, it's interesting because that's what's normal. Yeah. Back to dogs. Back to dogs. I don't know the mechanism by which – well, let me rephrase. There was a saying that uh, one of the toon commanders I had in the army used to always say was that the – and I'm sure he stole it from somewhere else – was that the standard you accept is the standard you set, Mm -hmm. right? And I feel like that is what is happening everywhere in the dog world. In working dogs, it's becoming more and more normal to have – Nervous dogs, right? People Mm. are breeding, like they're bringing in the drive from nerve. That's happening more and more and more, and that is becoming normal. And if you ask someone who's only been in, especially in Australia, if you ask someone who's only been in working dogs, say, for three years, what is a normal working dog, you get a very different answer from what, say, you might give, Mm. right? we having thinking you're then drawing from a pool of 30 years of experience into that space, right? And dogs were very different that 30 years ago. Especially Rottweilers. They, yeah, were, totally. they, they were different in the country compared to what they are now. Yeah. I mean, and this is one of the interesting things. Like I absolutely do take you at your word as to what they were like. It's just like
2: what's normal for people now and they accept it as normal was not normal back exactly, then. Exactly, right. So, you know, it's like Rottweilers didn't have tails when I was in the fraternity. Like yeah. the docking was normal. Yeah.
1: Well, and so, but like working capability, because I'm always teasing Rottweilers and people are like, oh, you don't know what it was like back in the day. And I'm like, well, I have to take your word for it because there is no evidence of that. Right. Other than you Well, there's evidence me, of
2: it. Like there is evidence of it. Which, but you just.
1: You, where? It's on film. I, I can't you, find you, it.
2: Well, I, I mean, I could show it to you, but I've got to get VHS's
1: cha- changed this is over. The, this is the thing, right? Yeah. So it's like, I'm not doubting that that was the case. But now with everything that I can perceive, I, I can't see it. Mm. Right. I, like I can only take in what I have available to me now. And I think that's the issue with like pet ownership, dog ownership everywhere, is that for us who are the outliers, our job then is to drag people back to the middle. Our job is not to, by overshooting the mark, it's like the old saying, like you you shoot for the stars and you hit the moon, Yeah. right? Like I feel like that's what we're doing as dog trainers is now like, and that's probably why people get away with having their super polished performance dog and using it as a demo sort of thing is that people at least go like that is something that can exist, maybe not by me, but at least I can get to the point where my dog doesn't shit on the carpet every day. Mm. Right. Like just little things like that, because
2: the standard of normal has changed so much. Mm. A student was showing me a picture of a dog healing the other day, and it was really good work. Like I always acknowledge fantastic work. And I kind of looked at it and they were looking at at the reaction to my face and they said, Oh, you don't seem really interested in it. And I said, mate, no offense, but I've been watching dogs heal for 30 years. Yeah. And yes, the standard has definitely gotten better and it's more prettier and, you know, like there's incredible stuff. And I said, but I've been watching dogs healing for 30 years. You know, like I've been watching dogs biting decoys for, for 30 years. And yes, the standard has gotten better and there are there are better techniques. And, and I said, but I'm, I've still watched it for 30 years. I've been watching dogs bite people in the leg. I've been watching dogs bite people on suits. I've been watching dogs bite people on sleeves. Like, that's my normal world. It's not like, you know, like a dog flew in on a jet and then jumped out of it and fucking, you know, like landed on someone and bit them. And I said, That I would be impressed with. (laughs) And I said, because that would be totally abnormal to what my normal world is. And I said, but my career started in biting dogs. You know, like I literally spent all my time, like seven years, full time working in a kennel, training dogs to bite people, you know, for private, for government, for whatever it was. We were just... Doing it over and over and over again, seven years straight. I literally lived and breathed working dogs for that time. You know, and I was involved in schutzen clubs back then. I was watching dogs. I was helping people doing tracking, healing, bite work, and everything like that. Like that's what we were doing all the time. Like literally doing that. There's a lady in. I think she's in Hungary at the moment, and I'm embarrassed that I can't remember her name. But I I am really enthusiastic watching her doing her work because you know she's doing. Belgian shepherds, German shepherds. Uh, she did a border collie the other day. I think she's a Hungarian or a Czech Republic lady, but phenomenal. Like she's really good. And what she's producing is the attention to detail is amazing, but I'll flick channels to somebody else and their attention to detail is phenomenal. Mm. And I always appreciate it. Don't get me wrong. Like I look at that and I think, man, the the years of work that have gone into that is impressive, mm. but it's still a dog healing at the end of the day. Mm. and. Please, if people are listening to this and they're thinking that I'm disrespecting them, I'm not. Like I do appreciate you and I understand the level of hard work and how many times you've got to get out with that dog. People are watching a 15-minute clip that's two years in the making. That's 15 minutes of success, two years in the making. Like Mm. I understand all of the criteria that went into that and all of the shaping processes about and all of the bad days that you've had doing that. But to me, it's normal, Mm. you know, like it's just an it's a normal world that I live in all the time. So for somebody who's just got in the industry and they're just seeing this, like this world is sort of like flowering to them. Mm. That's not normal to them. And that's, you know, like that's abnormal to them. Like they're seeing this and becoming excited. And I'm more excited about that, watching the, the look on their face and all of the possibilities and the wonder of how this happened. You know, when they're doing it, I'm thinking, oh, that's pretty cute. You know, like look at this new young Padawan suddenly coming up and and getting all excited about all of these new skills. And you see it like it's kind of a rotational thing. Every five years as there's a bit of a generational shift and you see new people coming into the industry, that's cute. Mm. You know, that's kind of fun to watch when you're seeing people. And I think that kicks me back into gear sometimes is watching other people's enthusiasm. And sometimes I've had to – for me to conform, I've had to show – a higher level of enthusiasm than what I normally would because I, I don't want them to think, oh, I don't like this or I'm not interested Jaded in it. old fool. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. You know, they kind of look at you and go, oh, you sour old bastard. Mm-hmm. You know, like if they kind of think something like that. But I'm not. It's not like I'm sour or it's not like I I don't in my head, you know, I don't have that inner narrative going, yeah, that's impressive. You know, like I couldn't do that. Yeah. Because there's some people on the, on YouTube and so forth and I think, wow, that's Like, that's next level. But if you're reading my face, you kind of look at me just sitting there, like, staring at the screen, um, not showing any emotion. Where you watch these students sitting there watching and they're going, wow. Yeah. Whoa, that's amazing. You know, like, how would you even do something like that? And that's the true passion and the like beginning of the relationship into what they're going to get into. Yeah. That's pretty amazing.
1: It's interesting when you look at sort of the content, what people take from it and how you feel about it, depending on sort of what's important to you. Yes. I made a bunch of reels the other day for fun. When I was stuck in the hotel in Queensland, I spent hours watching reels on Instagram um, and I kind of try to reverse engineer it a little bit to mm. see, like, you know, how are these made? What, what makes a good reel from a bad reel? Just because, you know, I had nothing else going on. I didn't have a computer with me. All I had was my phone, and that was what I could work on. And, like, you know, I sort of decided on depth of field and speed ramping, right? That was kind of it. And and then I made a couple and put them up. And it's really interesting to see the sort of, first of all, how you feel about that kind of stuff yourself, and then the reactions that you get. Because you see, you know, comments and shares, and you see the, like, different things people say about it. So like when I made it, the thing that was looking at for me, like I was totally really only, I was not so interested in the dog training part of it. I was really interested in the photography part of it, right? Mm. Like how do I get the depth of field that I want? And then in the editing suite, how do I speed ramp so that it, like it changes pace without being obvious that it is and that kind of stuff. And I post it and then say Nando Brown, for example, that's what he comments on. He's like, hey, cool speed ramping, right? Because he's into that. That's yep. that's something that he picked up on. Nobody else it mentioned that at all, but he was like, Hey, you did a good job of the speed ramping stuff. Now, when I look at it, I'm like, uh, dog wasn't healing straight. Like uh, he was forging. I was like, why did I post that? Like <laughs> a real good dog trainers are going to look at that and be like, Oh Jesus, Pat, your dog's not even straight. He's forging a little bit. Right. Mm. And then you get, you see other shares from people like dog trainer goals, like, you know, like this is what I want. So it's everybody's perception, depending on where you're at, will determine what you look at and what's important to you in the video or in the content that you consume. What is it? So, like, again, to use Nando as example, like, he could train that shit easy. He does the same shit. The dog training aspect, he could give two fucks about. It's mm. like, how did you put that video together? Yeah. Right? And then, like I say, the very, I am sub self-conscious now of, like, Ugh, wasn't straight. Right? Like, so, it, it's really where you're at is in, will determine what you'll take in.
2: Yes. And what's important what, to you. What you see, the detail that is important to you at the time because that's part of your normal world.
1: mm, mm. The last thing I wanted to say on this normal dog behavior thing, I already sort of added myself and said, you know, we're outliers because we turn up with our performance bred dogs that, you know, can do all the things. But I think what also happens is a lot of people who are getting into dog training do so because they've got a problem dog, Mm -hmm. right? Now they may have, through their skill and whatever else, have got that dog to the maximum of its genetic potential, right? And- the dog has still got issues, reactivity issues, whatever, right? And that's very common with dog trainers. I Mm. would say 90% of the dog trainers that I interact with have a problem dog, even if it's not their only dog, but they have one in the arsenal that usually is the dog they started with, and that's the dog that sort of got them into it. And they've, you know, developed skills and whatever, but they still have that problem dog. That becomes an issue, not that there's any fix to this. And I've been that person with a dog long dead, right? We're then that we're normalizing the reactive dog because when the dog trainer turns up Mm. and you're like, ah, yeah, no, I've got a similar dog. This is, you know, this is, this is normal. Don't worry about it. Like we'll work through it, but this is normal. Then it's like, oh, okay. Like this is part of normality. We're becoming part of the picture of problem dogs. And it's seldom the dog owner, because if they're engaging with the trainer, they are, they're trying to fix the issue. They don't want it to be normal. They don't identify it as normal. Mm. But I think it becomes normal that like it's really I think where this goes back to is to breeding. I think that the standard that you accept is the standard you set. And when we start accepting that like it's normal that dogs are reactive or super under-socialized or, you know, whatever issue that it is, super dog aggressive or totally fearful from the jump, right? Like genetic wrecks that Mm. don't even need a bad experience just come out that way and we're putting those dogs out into the public – That's normalizing that problem dogs. And I don't, again, I don't have any fix to that. It's just something that I'm observing.
2: Mm. I do believe that I, again, I added myself a while ago on one of the episodes where I used to, when people would come to me with reactive dogs or aggression issues, I would often smirk and say, that's not aggression. Yeah. Because to me it wasn't, it was such a downscaled version of what I, what's normal to me as an aggressive dog. Yeah. But- I don't do that anymore because it's dismissive and it's disrespectful because Mm -hmm. to them it is aggressive. Yeah. When they do come and they show me the dog, I don't say anything like that. What I do say is, okay, I can see how this is bothering you. Mm -hmm. This is the steps that we need to do now to try and fix this behavior because to them it's consuming their world and it's literally fucking their life up. Mm -hmm. So for me to turn around and say that's not really aggression because I'm comparing it to something that I know is diabolical compared to that, that's unfair. I didn't realise how potentially damaging that can be to somebody who that is abnormal to them. Yeah. So yeah, I've had to rescale and rethink that whole strategy. But uh, you know, do you think there's value in that in
1: keeping it abnormal rather than normalising it and go like, ah, it's just a uh, don't worry, this is an easy fix, like. Do you think there's value in going like, oh, hey, yeah, this is a problem. Like even if you don't think it's that big a problem, go, hey, you know, this needs some real work.
2: I don't highlight it as there's no hope. We've talked about over the years that we, you and I have dialogued over many things, the importance of inserting hope into all yeah. aspects in training, in conversations and everything. So primarily what I do with people is I clearly label things that are hopeful or no hope at all. There are times where And it happened recently where there was a dog that was way too aggressive to be safe in a family home. They had seen another trainer in Sydney and they they said to me, look, can we come and see you? And I said, sure. So they came and saw me. I had a look at the dog and I said, yeah, there's no hope. Like not for what you want. You know, this dog is way too dangerous. So- either a you're going to have to have a completely restrictive lifestyle with this dog or you you have to consider euthanasia mm-hmm. these are the people that would have to go into the 4am walking club yep. and that's the problem this dog needs to to go into the other trainer told you that right and they said yes And I said, well, I'm confirming what they said. Mm -hmm. Like it is a problem. The dog is dangerous. And they said, oh, we've even thought about trying medication and so forth. You can try. Yeah. You can absolutely try. And I said, have you had the dog on medication before? And they said, we have had them on a form of medication. However, it's been suggested that there is a different type. And I said, well, look, I'm not going to rob you of that option. These are the options. Mm -hmm. Restrictive lifestyle. That means that you really have to bolster your capability of keeping the dog locked yeah. up. And I said, this dog is truly dangerous. And, and that's – so you use the right word there because I think that's advice I've given people in the past. Is
1: like you have to self-administer a dangerous dog restriction onto yourself. Yes, exactly. Like, or, like have a look at dangerous dog legislation that has not been – you have not been told legally your dog is a dangerous dog. But I'm telling you, this motherfucker is dangerous. You need to treat him this way. Exactly.
2: What I do with people like that fit in that bracket is I tell them what happens as a consequence of this dog getting out and nailing somebody or killing another dog or something like that. And, you know, I said this is the real potential and, you know, like this is a case that went to court and these are the damages the people paid. And this is the restrictions now that have been placed around them because they fought to keep the dog. So it was exponential in money and their lifestyle has been radically altered now. They're literally on parole now and you've got to check in with a parole officer all the time. So your life now will radically change once that happens. But leading up to that, these are all the options. This is what's now on the table for you. We're talking about extreme measures in that case. And we had Michael Shikashio on the show a while ago talking about the same sort of thing. However, and when I'm undercarding it, and like I said before, when I was being disrespectful and dismissing and that, there are other people there and their dog is like that little golden cocker, bit of a pain in the ass, but, you know, there's still risk and there's still potential that the dog could bite. Mm. So I do explain this to people. I said, look, this can elevate. It can, depending on what happens now. There are procedures now that have to go in. And yes, you do have to alter your lifestyle because your dog now fits in a bracket where there is a problem, but there's hope. Yeah. There's hope and there is light at the end of the tunnel. We can fix this problem. There's a girl on Instagram, Kayla. She's got a Instagram channel called the Toby Project. Okay, I think he's a pit bull or American Staffy or some breed where he was highly reactive. Cats, dogs, everything. She lives with cats and she absolutely outs herself as not being a dog trainer. She says, I'm just a, a dog mum. And she's going on a life journey, but she's sharing what's happening with her dog online and showing, you know, like- all of the problems that she's come up. She even showed this is my legs from when the dogs bit me from redirections. Wow. I can't express to her how appreciative I am that she's showing the upside of it and the downside of yeah. it. She's basically saying this is what's happened when he's fucked up and uh, and there's been times where he's lost his mind, to use the terms that we do. He's reacted in a situation Or this is an example of how we're progressing and how he's playing with other dogs safely. And I'm using all of the consideration tactics. Like she knows that she can never entirely trust the dog and that he will have bad days. And she's sharing that with the public, which is great because it's a dog handler and owner that has taken on a potential problem but shown people this is an example of what you can hope to do with your dog and how you can improve the lifestyle, but this is all the work that has to go into it. Yeah. So that's what I think is important to highlight there is that it's
1: normalizing putting in the work. Yes. That's my concern with all the reactive dog stuff. That is that it becomes normal. Ah, you just got a reactive dog. That's part of it. You know, the dogs, that's how dogs are. That's what that breed is, you know, like blah, blah, blah. But it's like what I, I, want to see more of and what I hope we see more of is normalizing like, no, that's not how dogs should be. That's a problem. And I'm putting in the work to make it not a problem anymore. Like I'm doing the fucking work. And, the dog has a bandwidth of capability, that's the breeder's fault. This dog probably should never have fucking been born, right? I'm not talking about that specific case. I don't know it at all, right? But I'm saying, like, there's a lot of the reactive dogs you see, like, that mating should never have fucking happened. Mm. This was irresponsible ownership or this was like puppy farming or, you know, whatever it was. This should never have happened, but it has. And now we're dealing with it and we're putting in the work to deal with it because having a dog that's dangerous and redirects into your legs and all that kind of shit, that's not normal. Don't mm. keep that a secret. Like, don't. And that's that's why I like what Kayla did is because
2: she she basically said this is what you have to – consider will happen in a situation like that. Most people would hide that. Yeah. They wouldn't show you. That's not the pretty stuff that you show on Instagram. And when you're trying to get people to click your likes. Yeah. But I actually liked it for that reason, because I thought, respect to you, my friend. Yeah. Like that makes me look at you and think you are not trying to turn this into a pretty success story. You're showing the highs, the lows and everything in between. And in the closer of this, as you said, the work has to be the normal aspect. Yeah. You know, like when we talked about all those healing videos that I watched, there is no way that people do that without the work. The work <laughs> yeah. has to go in. the hour, We're not talking just hours. We're talking these transcribed into months, yeah. months of work when you connect all those hours together. This is a big peg of your life that goes into making that dog look pretty. You have to give up a lot to get your dog to those standards. And for people, that's not a big deal. Like when you look at people who are very, let's talk about weightlifting, who are incredibly buff people, or when you're talking about Olympic athletes, like they have to give up so much, like they can't eat types of food. They have to be in the gym for mega hours. They have to be running that routine for mega hours you know, and that's why sometimes when you see these athletes after they finish that they have complete blowouts because they're back on carbs again. Yeah. You know, like all the things that they had to give up, like have to, to give up, to be that elite or that special, or to stand out that much. Like they have to get comfortable with the normal aspect of, all of their life of sacrifice and fucking hard work. Yeah. 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 That's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's it for the abnormal normal episode of the Canine Paradigm.
1: Yeah. I think it like, uh, this is something I would like to discuss further with people. I I don't know how to do it. We sort of wargamed a few things about getting more engagement. Maybe dare I say it, maybe this is a good clubhouse room topic that we get a lot of people in because I'm just curious. Maybe we could do some
2: interviews with people. Yeah. About this topic and say, what's your version of normal? Yeah. You know, like we could, okay, so here is the quest for you guys, our listeners who would you like us to have on our show to talk about what is normal to them? Yeah. So why don't you throw some people in the community who are involved in our world, the canine training world, who would you like us to interview? And let's have this as a bit of a, a running topic that we can casually inject into our uh, mm. into our episode stream. The
1: reason this is sort of playing on my mind to why I'm, you know, meditating on it is yeah, you know, to use your example, like with Rottweilers, right? It was normal that they were good dogs, yeah working dogs. Mm.
2: And now it's normal that they're not. They're not the same. Like you just can't. Like uh, You said to me the other day, a passing statement, you said one thing that pisses me off about Rottweilers is how growly and reactive they are when they're on the sleeve, you know, as compared to other dogs who have got calmer grips and so forth. That's been a trait in Rottweilers for a long time that I know of. For me, they have always been a bit growly and reactive on the sleeve. Yeah. You know, like I'm not going to deny that and say, oh, that never happened. That was, you know, like back in my day. That's something that you would see more in Rottweilers. They'd grab, they'd head roll and shake a lot more, Yeah, you know, and that was normal. But the engagement of Rottweilers back in the nineties compared to now, there's been a complete paradigm shift yeah. there. So let me stick with them as an example, because
1: of Rottweiler people already hate me. And so I can just and keep... A- angry with me. Yeah, <laughs> can just keep putting nails in that coffin. Yeah, It's not like one day all the Rottweilers were great workers Let me preface. I'm not saying Rottweilers are terrible dogs. They're great dogs if people want that, but they're not the working dog that a lot of people think that they are. Mm. They're not capable. The overwhelming majority of the Rottweilers I see are not capable of the work people think that they are capable of because they're not actually involved in the work, right? And so when people say, oh, he'll bite you, I'm like, no. Given the conditions being correct, yeah, he'll bite me, but I will chase that dog back to his car without him biting me. Mm. So that's- the caveat I'm giving, you. it's not like if you've got a Rottweiler, you should look at it and be like, Pat hates you. I love your dog. I love all dogs. Of course. It's just whether they're capable of the work. Yeah. Anyway, but it's not like there was a day where you were working Rottweilers every day and you're like, man, all these dogs are killing it. And then there was the next day where you're like, oh, suddenly they are what they are now. It's a slow roll because it became like normal. And like, that's the issue with the progressions of normal. What's expected, what- You know, what you see is when it's a slow roll, it just gets a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. To now, like when you see a Rottweiler, it's normal that they are the way that they are. It wasn't like there was some magical day where it changed. And that's what I worry about in regards to all parts of dog ownership, but especially, you know, in the pet dog reactive space. I still go back to this fucking Cocker Spaniel barking at my kid, and I was like, whatever, Mm. right? I was like, that wasn't me 10 years ago. And especially even even three years ago, that would have been me, like, dealing with that situation a lot differently, right? Whereas now I'm like, that's just how it is, right? Mm. That's a fault of mine, but it's it's societal, I think, is becoming more and more. And and Mm. I worry where the end point is on that where it just becomes normal, like, oh, no, no, no dogs can interact. No, no, they, they can't because they'll all fight. And, oh, you, you have to lock up your dog when someone comes over because he'll be nervous barking wreck when people come into the house. Like, that's just the way it is. And it's like, it, it, it's not now. It wasn't in the past. We have the capacity to not make it that in the future. Mm. That's my concern.
2: Yes. No, they're good concerns, and I'm on board with what you're thinking.
1: That's it for another episode of the Canon Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear. here... Just tell a friend. Yeah. Just be like, hey, friend, I listen to this podcast, got these two Australian dickheads on it, and they just sort of talk bullshit to each other. Make that part of your normal life. Yeah, make that part of your normal routine. Just <laughs> add it to like your Monday morning, listen to it on the way to work, something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever you do, just listen to it. That's mm-hmm. what you should tell your friends. You could tell people on mass by, you know, sharing it on the social medias and that kind of stuff. Mm. Facebook's dying, so fuck that off and just post it on Instagram. Do a little story or something like that. That's how you'll help grow the show. Yeah. If you want to support the show, best way to do that is Patreon. Jump into there. For you Patreon people, I'm working so fucking hard on this IGP thing. And, uh, my now computer. you've got your new
2: computer. you got yeah. no
1: excuse. Yeah. So my computer shit itself. And so yep. I've bought a new one and that's going to- really accelerate the process. It's coming. I promise. It's just taking time because mm-hmm. I want to make a good product. The other way to support the show. So jump into Patreon. That's three bucks a month in there. You got a huge backlog of educational content as well as continuing forward. There'll be, you know, high end productions mm. as long as I can get, as well as live Q and A's and other stuff that will be going into there. I've made the commitment to do two Q and A's a month now. Wow. Yeah. Cause I'm going to do one that's our morning. Yep. And one that's our evening, so and one for the Australian audience and one for the international audience. Yeah, and very, it kind of very, goes, very uh, kind. It kind of goes backwards. So the one that's our morning is the international audience because that's their evening, say in the states. Yep, and the other way around for us. Right? So
2: you can get a double bubble.
1: Yep, and yep. you could just go to both if you have the time. Yep, very nice. Um, I'll, I'll like be. It. I'm committing to doing that. Yep. Also, because of the less frequent nature of the other episodes coming out, I feel like I just owe you guys. Support the show on Teespring as well. We've get been cool getting, merch. There's
2: been an uplift on Teespring. We've had a. Yeah. yeah, I went into the shop the other day and had a look around. And thank you very much because there's been some good support around yeah. Teespring. So obviously people are out strutting our merch, and we'd love to see that online.
1: Yeah. I need to get in there. I need to get the login and stuff from you to put bandanas. I want. Uh, oh, you want bandanas? Yeah, I want bandanas. Yeah. I think Zoe made us a
2: file, didn't she, a while ago? To- yeah. It didn't. It like it didn't work. I have to talk to her about that because when you try and. Stretch it out. Teespring says it'll come out all pixely.
1: Okay, Zoe, get in touch. Fix we, it, Zoe. I want bandanas. I want ones with my logo and I want Canon Paradigm ones yes. in multiple colours just to wear a bandanas. Why not? Yep. <laughs> what am I up to? Teespring. Oh, get in contact with us. Join the Facebook group. Mm. It's That's the only
2: part of Facebook that's still working. you just shot down Facebook. And, oh. Well, groups still work on Facebook. They do. Business we're pages. Getting, we're still getting a lot. Actually, we're still getting a lot of sign-ups every day. Yeah. I think every day I'm approving between 10, 15 people. Yeah.
1: I think Corona killed Facebook because like, there's just so many people whinging about Bill Gates trying to microchip us Yeah, that those people are still whinging and yeah. the rest of us are just like, oh, I can't handle you
2: anymore. Do you know the other thing I think killed it for Facebook a little bit is how heavy handed they've been in their policing. Really? Yeah. There's a lot of people who are getting warnings saying, oh, this is not meeting our community standards and people are going, well, fuck you Facebook. I'm going over to TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. All TikTok wants is all your, Data. Yeah, so they can You can post
1: whatever you want <laughs> so long as we can steal everything that you have. Yeah. Instagram gave me a warning the other day. I posted a photo of Remy acting creepy and it said, I put the comment saying, I'm not creepy, you're creepy. He was like standing in the door. Yeah, doorway. sorry. I liked it. Instagram was like, hey, that is similar to a comment that has got accounts deleted in the past. Are you sure you want to post that comment? I was like, yeah, fucking if I am. It's because they're owned by Facebook.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Anyway. We so
2: on the policing.
1: Join the group. Maybe we need to move to Reddit.
2: <laughs> it's such a weird thing, Reddit, that it's so it's such such a loved forum, but it's more in the United States. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, so are we. We're mostly- We've got a huge audience in the States. Like yeah. that's our, that's our so big- It's like 80% or something. Isn't it 70%, 80%. It is about 70%. Yeah. Then Australia is huge. And then we've got Canada and we've got like our top 10 is like, it's really bizarre. It's like obviously America, Australia, Canada, and UK- and then we've got places like Norway, Denmark, and a lot of European countries where mm. I, I probably wouldn't have expected such a huge – Sweden was another one. Yeah. They're our top ten. Might just be people using VPN. Could
1: Remember be. Remember when we first started and uh, you were like, well, it's someone in Malaysia. And it was so strange. like, I oh, it was me. I'm on holidays. Yes. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> no one in Malaysia gives a fuck. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. And if you want to shoot us an email, we are info at canonparadigm.com. Goodbye.